Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station, a place to sit back and relax while you're waiting for your train to board. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. This is a special series, a field guide for Christian leaders. We're reaching back over 1,500 years to bring you a leadership classic from St. Gregory the Great, a week-by-week look at timeless wisdom from the past. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Book 1, Chapter 11, Who Should Not Lead? In our last episode, I started with this question, how do you know if someone has the right stuff to be a leader? Now, I want to turn the tables on you. How do you know if someone should be disqualified from leadership? Obviously, there are a lot of people who should not lead, but somehow they made it into a leadership position. You know who they are, but chances are pretty good that they don't know who they are. If you remember the previous episode, you'll immediately recognize that St. Gregory has a lot more to say about the sort of people who should not lead compared to what he said about those who should. So, let's see what he has to say. The Field Guide for Christian Leaders What sort of person should not be a leader, a pastor, an elder? We must learn to evaluate ourselves with wisdom so that we do not assume a place of leadership while we still live at the will of our vices. One whose own guilt weighs them down must not desire to bring before God the faults of others. That is why, under the Old Testament law, no one could sacrifice to the Lord if they had any imperfections, such as being blind, lame, mutilated, hunchbacked, or a list of other factors in Leviticus 21. This applies to us in this way. There is no one so blind as one who does not know the supernatural life in God, who is overwhelmed by the darkness of the present life. He doesn't know the light, he doesn't see the light, he doesn't know whether he's making progress or not. That's why Hannah prophesied that he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. A man is truly lame when he sees where he should go, but by lack of backbone and perseverance doesn't live as he knows he should. Habits do not grow from unstable ways of living, and his conduct doesn't follow the path he knows it should. That's what Paul meant when he said, Therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. One with a small nose is not adapted for discernment, since he cannot distinguish sweet odors and stenches. The nose represents good discernment, choosing virtues and turning from sins. For example, in Song of Songs, the bride is praised with these words, Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon. It says to remind the church that discernment allows us to defend ourselves against various assaults, vices, and sins. On the other hand, a large or crooked nose is also a problem. It is possible to be too discerning. They investigate things so thoroughly that they are deceived by the smallest error. That large and crooked nose is so finely tuned to error that it winds up confusing itself. One with a broken hand or foot is not able to walk in God's way or respond to him at all. 
Unlike the lame man, the broken man does not even try to follow out of pain or lack of interest. The hunchback person is weighted down by the cares of the world and who never looks to the things above. He looks only what gets walked on by others and keeps his eyes down. If he ever hears of the good gifts of God, it doesn't move his heart and he doesn't lift his eyes. He's so used to seeing the dark side of everything that he can no longer look up or see any good in anything. The psalmist says of this sort of person, I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. These are the ones Jesus spoke of in the parable of the sower when he said, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The bleary-eyed is the one whose natural insight lights up and recognizes the truth, yet the worldly way of living obscures it. Bleary people have healthy pupils, but it's the eyelids that have failed them. This refers to those people who know their own need of salvation, but are continually distracted by living for themselves. Their eyes grow dim because of all that they've put themselves through. To this person, the angel of Revelation said, I counsel you to, to buy salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. We anoint our eyes when the light of our heart recognizes the true light and we adjust our conduct to match it. The one who has a white speck in his eye cannot see the light of truth. When the pupil is black, that's when we can see. When you recognize that you are a fool and a sinner, the light can get in. When we are convinced of our own righteousness and wisdom, the light cannot enter. This is often connected to arrogance, and that's why Paul warned that uh, claiming to be wise, they became fools. The one who has chronic skin conditions represents living in unchecked wantonness. The violent heat of the bowels is allowed to percolate upward to the skin, and rightly so. The temptations of the heart have shown themselves in action. The internal fires of passion break out and wound the flesh outwardly, just as uncontrolled thoughts wound the soul through uncontrolled action. Paul had a promise and a cure for this when he said, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. In other words, it is part of the human condition to suffer temptation in the heart, but we must guard ourselves so that we are not overcome to the point of acting on the temptation. If we don't learn to restrain ourselves in the small things, we'll indulge ourselves in anything that comes to mind. You can have this kind of skin condition with no pain at all, and it spreads without our awareness. We might never know how corrupt and disfigured it has made us, but those around us know. This is how the corruption of the mind works as well. It promises that you will thrive in the midst of your sin, but it destroys you from the inside out. It corrupts your mind by convincing you that your vices are actually good. This is what Paul means when he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. These open wounds that result from constantly thinking about temptation, delighting itself in relishing the thought but not the actual act. In doing that, 
you delight in the most flagrant fantasies without a hint of conscience or guilt. You cannot think such thoughts without having them show up in your character. Your mind will tend to dwell there. In such a state, you will not have the power or ability to live a holy life that is respected by others because the very thing you think is hidden is pressing down with a shameful weight. This is the reason that these diseases disqualified someone from serving and making offerings to the Lord in the tabernacle. For those redeemed by Christ, this means that anyone who is still ravaged by his own sin is in no condition to address the sin of others. And now we have looked at how the worthy ought to come to a role of pastoral authority and how the unworthy ought to fear taking on such a responsibility. Now we will explore how one who has attained a leadership role should live in it. And now, section four. And now it's time to stand before the mirror of truth. There it is, book one, chapter 11. This is obviously the last chapter of book one, and he provides a short introduction to the next book of the field guide. Chapter 11 is a pretty good demonstration of late ancient early medieval thought. St. Gregory handles biblical texts in ways that would earn him an F in most Christian colleges and seminaries. But give me a little mercy when I say this. It's not the way that I was taught to think about biblical teaching, but something about it rings true. I have to say, my modern mind doesn't quite know what to do with that. But let's not get distracted by technical questions. Think about this. How often did you see yourself in this list, whether in your ordinary day-to-day -day life or the occasional passing bad attitude? So... Did you pass the test? Are you suited to leadership? Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. As the train boards and rolls on to its next destination, we hope you found your time here helpful. The paraphrase of St. Gregory's work, along with supporting content, was developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson. As always, our sound engineer is Brick Martin. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River, and the closing music is from Javier Cugat, Brazil. Great Ridge Station is a service of Great Ridge Group, LLC. Stay with us on this. We're eagerly awaiting your next visit to Great Ridge Station.